you look now, I want to just read from Hebrews 5.11 all the way through 6.20. Because I want you to see the whole section uh, that he's talking about in in one fell swoop. And then we'll we'll dive in. And and, it begins in verse 11. It says, about this we have much to say. So I want you to remember what the about this is. Remember just prior to that he had said that Jesus Christ is our high priest according, according to the order of Melchizedek. You guys with me? So then he says, about this, we have a lot to say. And he's got, we've got a lot of chapters. He's going to talk about it. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated, it receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes. An oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. 
as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your word, God, as it is sown into our lives, as it is sown into our ears and into our hearts, God, I pray that the soil there is is prepared to receive it. To receive that which you have for us, Lord God, that we would have eyes ready to be open, ears to be unstopped, a heart willing to submit to your word. So that you would be glorified in our life and that we would hold fast to what you have promised us. God, open our eyes that we might see. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you remember, <clears throat> last week we did a do-over. You guys remember? I taught the same thing for the second time. And I, and I taught it for the second time because I felt like God had uh, given me an insight I didn't have before. So I, I met on Monday. You know, Monday morning we do coffee with the pastor. So anytime I say something, you go... I don't really know about that. Just show up to coffee. And we sit around the round table and, and we have it out. And we talk about it and we pour over it. And so we had a great opportunity to do that last Monday. And it was funny because um, Jerry Zinn was telling me, but Jackie, I have this note that, you, that I wrote down in my Bible from what you said last time. And I said, uh, get some white out. Because <laughs> sometimes... If you are looking for an infallible pastor, man, you better go someplace else. This is not going to be the one. But if you're looking for a pastor who will be honest with you and teach you the truth as he sees it and as he seeks it out, then that's what you'll get. And so we, we looked back at Hebrews chapter 6 and we poured over the warning passage. And so just a recap, I don't want to go back over it again, but I just want us to keep in mind that, that the writer of Hebrews is still talking to us about wanting to give to us a greater understanding of Jesus Christ as our high priest. And he's going to go into that. All of chapter 7. A lot of chapter 8. At least half of chapter 9. So he's still building on this idea of the supremacy of Christ and recognizing all that we have in him. So that we, as he gets to the end of this chapter, is going to tell us, set your anchor on him. You want to have an anchor in something that's immovable, right? Not, not something that's going to drift or change or move. So we want to set that anchor in Him. But he, here's what He says. We have a problem. We're drifting. We're drifting. Remember, we looked at chapter 2. He said that we shouldn't neglect our salvation. That we, we get apathetic. And we begin to drift. And he says, you guys should be teachers by now. You should be able to, to pass these things on. But you've become dull of hearing. Dullness, slothfulness, or laziness. All the same word in the Greek. He says, your, your ears are plugged up. So you can't hear. And he said, I want you to go on to maturity. I don't want to go back over and rehash all the ground that brought you to salvation I want you to go on the maturity, but we can only do this if God permits. And then he gives us that warning. 
that warning. And I just want you to pay careful attention to that warning, because at the end of the warning, he says, is it impossible for them to renew themselves to repentance? He doesn't say it's impossible for them to renew themselves to salvation. They can't renew themselves to repentance. In essence, what God is saying is, in our lives, there's a line drawn that God's drawn somewhere in the sand. And if we continue being disobedient to Him, we continue turning our back on Him, then we'll never cross over to all that God has for us. We talked last time, the Bible talks about the fact there are people who will be saved What's it say? Though as by fire, right? Though as by fire. It's not talking about salvation. And, and it, we'll get more into that if you want to come uh, Monday morning again. But <clears throat> he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about repentance. And he's already given us an example, guys. He's already given us an example. You remember it. Kadesh Barnea. God drew a line in the sand for the children of Israel. Now they didn't know where it was. And when they came up to Kadesh Barnea, God said, I've given it all to you. Don't be afraid. Go. And they said, I don't trust you. So God said, you're never going to come into the land. Now, the, Guys, the promised land is not heaven. You know what happens is the... Whoa. I'm going to say first week in the promised land. The Battle of Jericho. You guys remember Battle of Jericho. We have war in heaven? No, no. And then after, after the Battle of Jericho, you have the, the Battle of Ai. And they lost that one. Yeah, the promised land is not heaven, guys. What's the promised land? The promised land is the, the totality of all the blessing that God has for us. Everywhere we'll put the sole of our feet. He said, I'll give it to you. Think about that example. What about Moses. God drew a line in the sand for Moses. Where was that line? God said, Moses, the people are thirsty. Go speak to the rock. And water will water the people. What did Moses do? He was angry at the people and frustrated, right? And he walked over and he hit the rock. And what did God say to Moses? You're not coming into the land. Was Moses saved? Sure, he's in the hall of faith, guys. We're going to see him in the the book of Revelation. God still has plans and purpose for Moses, but he didn't have, he didn't walk in all that God had for him because of disobedience. We can go on all day. Esau had a birthright that he despised. God drew a line in the sand. What was the line? He sold his birthright for a bowl of chili. I guess he was hungry. I don't know. <coughs> Kathy's duck gumbo is about that good, though, I'll tell you. <laughs> and, so, and so what happens to Esau? Same thing. He never walks into all that God has for him. Each one of these stories are not stories that talk about salvation. Whether or not someone is saved or going to be able to spend an eternity with God, it's not about that. And neither is this warning. This warning is the same way, guys. And it would change the way we think about our sin if you realize somewhere in my life God's drawn a line. And I don't know where it is. Would it change the way I think about my sin? Oh, it's just a little thing. Would it change the way I consider my, my uh, life with Him? 
Don't, don't I want to grow? Don't, do I, don't we want everything that God has for us? So the warning lays out for us, guys, it, it's, it's impossible for them to, to uh, uh, renew repentance because once God says, that's it, no further, they don't come in. Right? Moses didn't come in. The children of Israel, next verse in the, in the book of Numbers, are weeping and crying, but they didn't come in. Because God said, that's it. He still took care of them for 40 years. You get that, right? Their shoes still didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't fall apart. He still gave them water. Manna fell from the sky every day. It was still their daily bread. He was still the living water for them. He was everything that they needed still, but he would not let them go on. But this we will do if God permits. This we will do. We're going to go on. Because we're going to learn from those examples. Or we're going to say, look, I'm not going to treat my relationship with Christ as though it's such a common thing that I don't want to put my, my consideration on, on the things I'm doing, the things I'm saying, and where I'm going. So I want to grow. So he said, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, of the instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal punishment. And this we will do if God permits. We're going to keep moving forward with God. When we get to Kadesh Barnea, personally for me, when I get to my line in the sand, I want to step over it in faith. I don't want to stop short. I don't want to come that far and just give up. So look what he says in verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way. So it's, it's a warning passage, guys. It's supposed to be like, ooh, I don't like that. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, yet in your case, the ones who we love and I care about and I want to see go on, we are sure of better things. We're sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, things that go along with salvation. That's what he's saying, guys. He's talking about sanctification. Remember when we went through the book of Romans, we talked about the three, <coughs> three words that describe salvation. One, justification, deals with our past. We have been forgiven and justified just as if we'd never done it. We're saved. Justification. Our past has been dealt with. Our present is dealt with in sanctification, which is God making us holy in this life until we experience glorification when we see Jesus face to face. When I see Jesus face to face, the battle's over. But until then, we're on the battlefield. Until then, we're in the promised land fighting for every piece of ground we might be able to have. And God has given you a promise. I'll give you victory everywhere you put your foot. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? He says, man, we have better things. Better things in store. Better things... We have a position in Christ, right? We are the beloved. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Man, in Christ Jesus, we are part of the beloved. We're part of the family of God. Heirs and join heirs together with Him. He has given us this thing. So the call <coughs> is a call. Go on! 
Go on. Don't just come up to the brink and hear the promises of God and receive salvation and, and weep and bow our knee before God and then get up and don't go any further. Because it's just like spending 40 years in the wilderness waiting to die and missing out on all the beauty and battles Victories and defeats that God has for us as we walk out this life. In verse 10, he says, listen, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. So God's paying attention, guys. He's not unjust to overlook your work and the love, listen to this, and the love that you have shown for who? For his name. How did you show God you had love for his name? Look at the next phrase. In serving the saints, as you still do. Man, the promises are based on the character of God, and God's not unjust. God's not unrighteous. God is faithful and true, right? And so we can hold fast that God's going to keep His promises. But it's also, guys, also based on our conduct. He says, for the Lord will not overlook your work. There's something to the life. Yeah, our works don't save us. But if Jesus has said to you and I, come follow me, then our lives ought to start representing Him, shouldn't they? Shouldn't they look, shouldn't we look like Him? Shouldn't shouldn't we start to take on some of those attributes? But here's the reality. Here's the reality, guys. When we talk about maturity, here's what we think. We think maturity is an intellectual exercise. And what maturity is, is a moral exercise. It's not about what you know. It's about how much what you know affects how you live. Being obedient to God's Word, following God's Word... Going forth with what God's word has given us. Sometimes we think, well, I don't know what God wants. Listen, Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require? That you do justice. That you love mercy. And that you walk humbly with your God. That you do justice. Now, sometimes it's funny, because when we talk about doing justice, everybody's mind thinks goes to themselves. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it that I'm aware of, is the Bible give us a verse that says, go get justice for yourself. But you know what it does say? Go get justice for the orphan. It does say, go get justice for the widow. It does say, go get justice for the stranger. The alien. And then it says, love mercy. Love giving mercy. Mercy is not giving to someone what they deserve. Like every once in a while we tell ourselves, you know, I just got to give them a piece of my mind. Well, just so you know, that's not mercy. That might be love and justice, but it's not love and mercy. Mercy is, is given that same thing that our Father in Heaven gave us, right? 
Remember, it's not an intellectual exercise, a moral exercise. Am I willing to take what God's Word tells me, just the plain truth of God's Word, and then apply the plain truth of God's Word to seek justice for the widow, to seek justice for the orphan, to seek justice for the stranger, to be willing to love mercy in people's lives? And why is it that I'm doing all those things? Go back to where we were in verse 10, guys, in in Hebrews 6.10. God will not overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name. Why do I want to love mercy? Why do I want to spread mercy? Why do I want to see mercy come out of my life toward others? Because I love God. Because I love Him. Now, does love and mercy mean there's never a place for correction? No, God's Word don't teach. God's Word tells us to speak the truth. How? In love. And love is the motivation for, for which or through which we speak the truth. God doesn't, he's not going to lose, he's not going to overlook that work, but that work, guys, that work, our conduct, the work and the labor of our love, the object of it is his name. The object of our work has got to be him. It's got to be him. Busyness can produce barrenness. It was not for him. Busyness can produce barrenness. If it's not for him. If it's not for the love of his name. To honor and glorify him. And and then how, what is this work? Look exactly what the work is. The work is... Done because we love His name, and because we love His name, we serve who? The saints. That's each other. You know, the longer I've been involved in ministry and church, it's... Okay, I won't say it's always easy, but sometimes it's easier to give grace, mercy, and, and, and service to a crackhead than it is to my own brother. And I don't think that's how it should be. Because Jesus said, they're going to know you are my disciples, that you follow me by the way you love who? Each other. How are you going to love each other? How are you going to... We lose, we lose, we get more frustrated with each other. I don't know, maybe you guys don't. I, I know in my own family, I tend to treat my kids harsher or harder or expect more from them than I do with the kid that lives across the street. And I, and I don't, I don't know that it has to be that way. I don't know that it should be that way. And I think that translates into a church relationship where, and admittedly, there may be issues where we want to look to somebody and we want to say, hey, you know, let's... Uh, Let's have a loving conversation about some things, some areas in our life that, that I think we need to clean up. That's, that's great. That's loving. And sometimes that's difficult. But we ought to care about each other enough to do it. We ought to care enough about each other to cross the aisle and say, Man, you look like you're having a rough day. Or we can just think, you know, last week that preacher preached almost to noon. What a knucklehead. And uh, by the time we got to the restaurant, there was no place to sit, man. I couldn't even get a taco at Juanita's, that guy went so long. 
Or we can say, you know, on the way out, man, that looks, that person looks like they're hurting. What would happen if I went over there and just hugged them and said I cared about them? What would happen if we, we did that for one another? Because that's the service, guys. The word is diakonos. It, it means to, to minister to one another. Just like Christ would minister, right? When we see Him ministering, sure, there are times where Jesus rebukes. Absolutely. Are there times where Jesus just loves people? Yeah. What about His disciples? How many times did Jesus just love His disciples? How many times were disciples fighting about who's the greatest? And Jesus might give them a teaching or an illustration about what's wrong with that. But you know the Bible says? He loved his own to the end. Literally to the uttermost. He could not have loved them more. And that convicts me. Because when I look around in church, I can't say that there aren't people I could love more. And that's the service that God's looking for. It's not about how smart we are, how well we read Greek or Hebrew. It's about, are you willing to take what you do know and apply it? Say, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is how I want to live my life. Listen to how it's described. Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 32, talking about the service to the people he's writing to, a service that they had been experiencing. Look what it says. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's saying, look, you guys, the way you, the the, the things you were suffering, he's talking to believers, Hebrew believers who were being ransacked because they had faith in Jesus Christ and they're taking their property and they're stealing their stuff. And he's saying, sometimes it's happening to you and sometimes it's happening to your neighbor, but you're standing together and you joyfully accept the plundering of your goods. And sometimes I struggle with joyfully accepting the plundering of my time. Sometimes I struggle with joyfully accepting the plundering of my stuff for the sake of my brother. And I I think that's the maturity that God's looking for out of His fellowship. See, God is saying that the things we do for the people of God are reckoned by God as though we did them for Him. Now, does that remind you of something Jesus said? Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? When were you sick? And we visited you. When did we do these things? You remember what Jesus said? 
When you did these to the least of these, my brethren, you did them unto me. And I think to, the, to, to, to Hebrews, I'm not trying to stretch that application too far, but to the, to the people that he's writing to, he's saying, look, man, this is, this is an incredible thing that we have, that we can be a part of. You know, we have this, the beauty, the reason for the hope that is in us, the promises of God, and this growth to maturity is all powered by our love for him. That we love His name, and that drives us to love His people. To to express these things to His people. And then, look in verse 11, He says, But it's not easy. Are you right about now thankful for that word? Because... Because I'm really not trying to lay a burden. I just want you to hear the resolve that is needed. We, we, we have to be diligent. Look what he says, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show that same earnestness. We want you to do what I've just been talking about. We want each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope for how long? Until the end. We want you to have a full assurance of the hope all the way to the end. I want you to know this hope that is in Christ. I want you to be, I want you to be stable and secure in that. Look at the very next phrase. So that you might not be sluggish. Same exact word as we have a lot to tell you, but you become dull of hearing. See, The battle is already beginning, he's saying. The battle is already beginning in your mind. And if you're not careful, it's going to move over to your actions. Before the people ever stopped at Kadesh Barnea and said, We're not going with you, Lord. They were already losing the battle in their minds previously. So that when they came to that point, they were not able to take the step. Already were becoming dull. Moses was already dealing with bitterness for the people. Wasn't he? What did Moses say? When he, why he struck the rock? I was mad. They're always what? Complaining. They're never happy. It kept them out of the land. The dullness of hearing, the battle in the mind begins to affect the obedience through our body. But he says, rather become imitators of those who through faith and... What's the next word? Patience. Patience. Please don't say, whatever you do, don't pray for patience. Man, you better pray for it more. Because the Bible says we need it. You have need of endurance. Now, does that mean that you're going to go through hard times? Well, yeah, the Bible told you that already, didn't it? A servant's not greater than his master, is he? Jesus said, if they hated me, they will. Oh, if they persecuted me, they will. That's That's what we chose when we chose Christ, remember? We chose enmity with the world. For a relationship with the God of the universe. So look, it it involves diligence. Diligence. I want you to show the same earnestness. 
It means we decide that it's not easy. It's difficult. Just about everything good in life is, is it not? Everything I want to do, I really want to be able to play the guitar better. But you know what it takes? Diligence. Yeah, I got to do more. I want to speak like ten languages. But you know what it takes? Diligence. That's all. Whatever thing that, that you might desire. I wish I was artistic. I watch people who are artistic who, who start marking on a piece of paper and all of a sudden it becomes a picture. And my mind will just... I wish I could do that. What would it take? Diligence, man. Diligence. Diligence. Oh, You may not have a gift, but you can learn. You can learn. Anything you want to learn. He says it's going to take diligence, man. We have to say, I, I'm going to apply myself. We talked a few weeks ago. Look, the, our, our Mary, our Mary, is it Mary? Fairy godmother. Not Mary godmother. Our fairy godmother. <laughs> I lost it for a minute. It's not going to come put pixie dust on her head, right? And wave her wand and poof. Now you're diligent. What does it require? It requires discipline, doesn't it? Is there anything in your life that doesn't take discipline? The job you do, the friends you have, the, the relationships that you work at that doesn't take diligence or discipline? It's no different. It's no different here. It, it's going to take those things. Listen, Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. All we have to do, it's, it's more about want to. I used to coach... Football with uh, with Tracy Vogelmore. Maybe some of you guys know Tracy, but I'll never forget one of the lessons he he did. He was uh, there in Castle Ford one day, and Tracy, in order to to work out his frustration, likes to go chop wood. So he'll go chop wood and cuts the wood and loads all the logs on the trailer, puts it in the back of his truck, and brings it home. And one day he's in Castle Ford. I don't know who it was, but some old feller pulled up with a truck, and he had a big pile of wood. And on the very top was this giant log. And Tracy walks over to this old timer and he says, How'd you get that up there? Never forget it. The old feller looked at Tracy and said, Sometimes you just got to want to. I had that echoing in my head when I was moving them couches yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to want to. Man, I, I want to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Because that's what the Lord wants of me, isn't it? That I would draw near to Him. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 2 and 3. It says this, That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, he's just drawing near to him. Sometimes you just got to want to. 
It's easy for busy to get in the way, right? And we got choir going on and Christmas productions and, and we got, we got folks that are going out to Planned Parenthood. Great. Awesome. Praise God for it. We got, we got guys going out and doing ministry at the, at the, at the mosque occasionally going out trying to share the gospel. We got people trying to engage other people's lives. We got folks reaching out in a variety of different ways and we got all this busyness. But listen, if we're not ever going to be still, And know that He is God. Your burden's going to become barrenness. And you're going to say, why? Where's the fruit? I'm serving, I'm working, I'm trying, I'm reaching. What's wrong, God? What's wrong? What's missing? Phil shared a... uh, Gosh, I don't even... A, a chapter out of a book with me. Really resonated with me all week. And the, the, you know, the, one, the line, the title of the chapter is, I miss you, Francis. And the purpose of the chapter was a word from God to, a, to another minister who was feeling that way. And God, through an interceder, an intercessor, a person praying for that pastor, told the pastor, just tell him, I miss him. Because we can be busy about stuff, but we're not really drawing near to God, are we? We're not being diligent to really come close to understanding all the mysteries of God, which are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That we would know him. The power of His resurrection, which is coupled with the fellowship of His suffering. To know Him. Man, that is our great purpose in life, to know Him. It involves discipline, so we would not be sluggish. This we have much to say about, but we can't because you become dull of hearing. Sluggish. To be able to receive all that God is trying to lay out for us. It involves discipleship. Look what else he says. But be imitators. Now here's where we, myself included, love to say, you know, don't don't follow me, follow God. You know, the Bible just don't let you do that. Did you know that? I wish it did. But it don't. This is what the Bible tells us, guys, in Hebrews 13, 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Now, here's what it don't say. Imitate all the dumb stuff they do. You know, the other day I was with Jackie and and he seemed a little harsh to his wife on the phone. So I must be okay. No, it doesn't say imitate him when he's stupid. It says imitate what? Imitate his faith. Imitate his faith. Be imitators. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, it says, And you become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia. Now, in the beginning you might say, oh, he's talking about Paul. No, he ain't. He's talking about the believers to whom he wrote. And he's telling them, you guys imitated me, and because you were imitating me and following that example, and you're imitating the Lord, you became an example to everyone in Greece. Well, that's a big place, right? Because you were willing to become a mimicker. A mimicker. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, Be imitators of me, as I am an imitator of Christ. What is the point of discipleship? Look what he said back in the verse. He said, Become imitators of those who what? Through faith and patience inherit or obtain the promises. So what are we to be disciples of? What are we to be imitators of? Faith and patience. Faith and patience. Look, faith embraces the unseen as though it were seen. And faith embraces the future as though it were present. It holds on to that for which we hope. And patience is steadfast endurance and long-suffering. He's going to give us an example, guys. He's going, to, he's going to give us an example of these very things. The promises of God. Look at verse 13. For when God made a, a promise to Abraham, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So God confirmed a promise. Now he's saying, here's what people do. People always want to swear by something, right? Is that something new? Remember when we were kids? Oh, maybe we still do it? No, I swear to God. Or I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or I swear on my mother's grave. Or whatever the thing might be. (coughs) Men do this. He says, God wanting Abraham to know, man, I'm going to keep my promise to you. He swore by the greatest thing of all, himself. He swore by himself. An oath... A promise to Abraham. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 22 verse 15 it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring, the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. And your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Abraham, I'm going to bring my son through you to the world. Why? Because I drew a line in the sand. And I know it was a hard one. I drew a line in the sand, Abraham. I said... Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. And you know that the book of Hebrews says that Abraham reckoned his son dead from that moment and believed God would raise him from the dead. That's why when he came to his moment, the knife was ready to come down when God said, stop. When God said, ah, You pass. 
Come enter into all that I have for you. And then Abraham, through patience, patient endurance, received the promise. Abraham got the promise of a son when he was 75. Do you know when he had him? When he was 100. What do we call that? Patient endurance. And when he endured patiently, what happened? He received the promise. And after he received the promise, God said, Take that son that you love and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham was willing to do that. Why? Because he trusted God. You don't think that was a giant in his life? You don't think he looked at his son and, and he thought, Man, this is all the promises, everything I've ever wanted in my life right here. And Isaac, my son, my adult son, probably 30 years old. Man, he's, he's everything. He's all the promises that, that you've given me, God. You don't think that was a giant? You don't think that was tough? You don't think it was hard? But Abraham trusted God more than he feared the giant in his life. And he got victory. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us, man, we can have that. We can experience that same victory in our life. We can experience that. But we do it when we imitate faithfulness and patience. Faithfulness believes what God promised. And patience is willing to wait for it no matter how long it takes. He says that's that's how we are able to go on, mature, go cross into the land, have all that God has for you. When we imitate those of faith and of patience. He goes on in verse 16 to say, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. (coughs) So... When God, in verse 17, desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. You believe what God has promised. I'll tell you, when He says, when He says, when He desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, He's not just talking to the guys we just have mentioned, Abraham. He's not talking about the guys in a hall of faith. He's talking to us. For you are heirs of the promise. He says, I I want you to know the unchangeable character of his purpose. God don't lie. What God has promised, what God has laid out for us, God will do. Look what he says at the end. He says, for we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to do what? Hold fast to the hope which is set before us. Hold fast. Hold on. He guarantees his promises with an oath. Look, he's referring back to Psalm 110 right there. That's what I think. Remember Psalm 110? The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. 
You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's the reigning day of Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Man, you are everything we're ever going to need. It's based in his word, the fact that he swears it. It's based on his value because with God it's impossible for him to lie. In James 1.17 it says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God doesn't change. For we know some things work together for good. Oh, that's not what it says? I know we don't like it. But it's a promise to the believer, isn't it? To those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Imitate those who by faith and patient continuance inherit the promise. They have all that God lays out for them. Then look at the, look at the illustration in verse 19. So we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the veil, behind the curtain. He says, man, we... Now remember, what did he tell us earlier? What was the problem that we were having? We're drifting. Remember? But he says, no, we have an anchor. And that anchor, he says, is steadfast. That word for steadfast is the word that the sailors would shout when they were setting anchor. They throw the anchor over, and you know the ship keeps moving, right? The ship keeps moving, and they're tugging and pulling and working that anchor until that anchor sets. It grabs. And then they would call out, Steadfast! And tie off the anchor. And now they're not going to move. Because their anchor is set. Don't you see the encouragement that's from the Lord? He's telling us is, you don't have to drift or become lazy or slothful or dull of hearing. You don't have to fail or struggle. What you need to do is set your anchor in Christ. Set your anchor in Him. Because He, He's gone behind the veil. What happened behind the veil, guys? That's where sacrifice occurred, right? Just think about it. Jesus, not only is he the high priest, not only is he the king, not only is he prophet, he's also the sacrifice. He's also the ark. He's also the tent. He's also the temple. All of it is Jesus. All of it is the Christ. All of it is our Messiah. And so he's saying, look, I, I know that I shared with you some, some scary things and a, and a warning that maybe <clears throat> challenged us, but I have better things in mind for you. Set your anchor to Jesus Christ. Stop drifting. Be diligent. Apply yourself to all that He has for you. Don't think 
that adding burdens to your life is going to bring about fruitfulness. Because burdens can just bring about barrenness if it's not in Christ, if it's not for Him, if it's not through love. He's calling you and I the same way He was calling Francis in that chapter. He's saying, I miss you. Remember when we would just hang out in the cool of the evening? When I would whisper to your heart, you would find treasure in my word, or a praise song would just leap to your lips. Or you just start weeping out of nowhere. Won't that ever happen to you? That last song I've sang 10,000 times. Start singing it for you guys can't stop crying. Sometimes God says, that's just how it's going to be. I learned a long time, just get over that. Because God will have his way. Won't he? God will have his way. And so he, he wants that. What he had with Adam in the beginning. You remember how it looked when he walked with Adam in the cool of the evening? He wants that with us. And the reason we struggle and kick against the goads and, and have all these problems that we're dealing with is, is not because God hates us. It's because He's saying, I, I, I miss you. Come. Come, be with me. Set your anchor. Look at verse 20. Set your anchor where Jesus has gone. He is our forerunner. On our behalf, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I told you, he's not done with Melchizedek yet. You're, you're going to be ready for Bible trivia after the next couple of chapters. He's going to tell us why that's important. But let me just tell you what he's telling us in this last verse, guys. We have access to God. You have access to God. I think sometimes we, we forget how amazing that is. You have access to God. You don't got to go through somebody else or something else. We come to, to God. We come to the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. We have access to God. But not only do we have access to God, we have full assurance because... Jesus is my high priest. He's my sacrifice. He's the blood that makes me clean. He's the voice that calls me to bigger, better things beyond where I'm satisfied to drift. We have full assurance because Jesus Christ is everything we are ever going to need. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.